this before. I was nominated to the Maritime Transportation Systems National Advisory Committee, MITSNAC. It's an advisory group to the Department of Transportation's Maritime Administration. Well, we met this week, and it got me thinking, let's chat about federal advisory committees, FACAs. What are they? How are they formed? What do they do? Hi, welcome to By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the week in supply chain presented by the Maritime Professor, me. I'm Lauren Began, founder of the Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies. And I'm your favorite maritime attorney. Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and surface transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice, and there's no attorney-client privilege created by this video. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. So before we get into the discussion of the day, let's go to, through my top three stories of the week. <laughs> so story number one. A ship ran aground in the Suez. Remember the Suez? This ship ran aground exactly where the Ever Given ran aground. Remember the Ever Given running aground? I think we both learned where the Suez was as a society, and we both learned how significant a grounding in the Suez is from the Ever Given. Well, we're at it again. So far from what I've read, though, that's kind of the most interesting part of the story. It was a crude oil tanker, Affinity 5, and it's already been refloated and is moving again. Well, I should walk back my statement. The vessel behind it actually hit it, and now there's a little bit of an oil spill. So that wasn't the most interesting part of the story. Unfortunately, there's more to come. It is reported that the oil slick is a lighter oil, but here's the deal. Have you ever seen oil hit the water? It moves quick. It spreads quick. Lighter oil means easier to clean up when it hits the shores, it's being reported, but... Look, oil spills are never a good thing. The Suez is a tricky canal. We all learned that with the Ever Given previously, but it, it is, it still is. Nothing has been done since the Ever Given got stuck. Um, you know, it's, it's rarer, but it does happen. When I first heard the story that there was a ship stuck in the Suez, I thought, well, at least it's not a container ship, <laughs> right? When Ever Given happened, it was in the midst of container getting. But then I thought, oh gosh, it's oil. That's not better, especially right now. We're kind of coming out of oil getting. We, we, you know, the U.S. saw astronomically high gas prices, and I don't know. It's it's not a good thing, but at least we're moving. At least the 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 vessel getting stuck has been freed, and now it's just the cleanup because the Ever Given was stuck for a very long time, and you couldn't even start to fix it until it was freed, and that took a long time to free it. And so at least we're moving. At least. You know, and, and I've, I've read that they were supposed to have had all of the oil offloaded by today. So hopefully that'll help with the oil spill. Um, I don't know. I, it's too bad. It's too bad. Another ship got stuck. Um, hopefully either something happens with the Suez itself, um, where maybe they do a little bit better navigational management. Um, or maybe, maybe, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the solution is here. I'm interested to see if any discussions come from this. It just happened, what, two days ago? Yesterday, today's Friday, yesterday and today. Um, but interesting, interesting to report. Story number two, 
Back the Truck Up. Have you heard of them? It's an offshoot of What the Truck, a show hosted by Duner and the Dude, and it's a, a show of freight waves. They wrote an article about the trucker shortage. But is it a shortage? And that's what they kind of asked. You know, I've talked about this before. It's not a shortage. And Back the Truck Up is saying the same thing. There are plenty of truck drivers, but the job frankly sucks sometimes. And there's over a 90% turnover rate in truck drivers in this country. And that's a problem. Back the Truck Up was basically saying that, that they're sick of hearing about the driver shortage. It's not a driver shortage. Having a retention flip over rate, a turnover rate of 90%, nine out of every 10 truck drivers out there leave their job. It's no good. That's no good. We've talked about it before. Truck drivers aren't even allowed to be using bathrooms of some of the customers that they pick up, you know, goods from. We got to make it easier and better and a much more tenable situation for the truck drivers out there. Because, you know, I say 90% of everything moves by ocean cargo, arguably 100% of everything moves by truck. We have to fix this. We have to keep the attention on this issue. It's not a shortage. It's a crappy job. And, and we have to make it less crappy because it is an essential job for the United States. Story number three, we're going through them quick today. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the ILWU and PMA are stalled in their talks over conflict related to union jurisdiction of equipment maintenance and repair at the Port of Seattle. So remember, this is the ILWU, the International Longshoremen and Warehouse Union, and the Pacific Maritime Association. This is the labor discussion of the West Coast. So the ILWU represents the port workers of the West Coast, and the Pacific Maritime Association represents the carriers in the terminals. Their contract expired July 1st, and they're now holding over in a gray area trying to come to an agreement about a new contract. This isn't new to have a holdover on an expired contract. We actually covered this on By Land and By Sea, one of my previous episodes. If you're not familiar, this is now a podcast. You can go find all of my old episodes in catalog form on podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I suggest you go take a listen to this one. We go over the history of the PMA and the ILWU, um, other times that they've held over, other times that their holdover has become a problem. Um, like I said, this isn't new to hold over on an expired contract, but the societal recognition and attention on the supply chain industry certainly is. So there's kind of some increased intensity around this one because everybody's watching. But the Wall Street Journal, like I said, is reporting that the ILWU and the PMA are stalled in their talks over a conflict relating to union jurisdiction of equipment maintenance. Basically, who is going to be in charge of equipment maintenance and repair at the Port of Seattle? Um, you know, ILWU is more than just LA Long Beach. They they get talked about a lot in LA Long Beach, but they represent the entire West Coast, um, stretching all the way up to Canada, actually. So um, this issue is in the Port of Seattle. It's There's a few different things that they're going to be talking about. Um, you know, I, I think this is just going to be another one of the items, and probably Wall Street Journal reporter found out that this was one of the items right now. Um, there's going to be more to come. I, I still don't expect a, an agreement um, anytime soon, but I haven't heard anything that it's that it's it's terribly contentious that, um, you know, I, I think they're still moving forward. So I, I think that that's a, that's a good thing. Um, I have another story. I'm going to call it story number four today, even though we'd usually do our top three stories of the week. Uh, but this one is a, is a good one, too. Lorianne LaRocca of, of CNBC reported that the Port of New York, New York, New Jersey, is not going live with their September 1st late container fee implementation after some, quote, unintended consequences were uncovered. Um, they plan to modify their fee plan and have the tariff in place for Q4 this year, with first invoices being issued in January, is what Lorianne was was um, reporting on. I previously reported that the, the port 
Authority of New York, New Jersey had created this late container fee, uh, but now it's reported that they'll be delaying that implementation of the late container fees. It's interesting that they said unintended consequences. Uh, they didn't identify, and Lorianne, from what I, I heard, um, and I, I apologize, I didn't hear her live coverage of it. Um, I haven't heard what the unintended consequences are. Um, but, you know, I don't think anyone's surprised here, right? That's what LA Long Beach did. They, they've been delaying their implementation of their demurrage and, and detention and additional fees, um, late container fees, um, holdover container fee, you know, all, all the fees. There's a lot of different ports looking at different ways of, of these additional fees. Um, I'm interested to learn more here. Uh, fee plans are tricky um, and you have to be compliant um, with with general ocean shipping, shipping act requirements. Um, I'm, I wonder what their unintended consequences are here. Um, look, there's a big push against additional fees these days, you know, to, to keep the efficient movement of goods. Um, some fees are, are being issued and not necessarily speaking to the port fees, but some fees are being issued and certainly in detention and demerge, um, when the incentive reason is gone. Um, and so I, I don't know, look, Fees keep finding their ways into the fold. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not a fan of hyper demurrage, hyper detention, or just general additional fees as a general statement. Um, but you know that LA Long Beach has reported that they've seen success in in turning over their their cargo. <sighs> they've also said it's the threat of the fee that has gotten them there. So I don't know. I'm I'm going to keep watching this one. Um, we got to do something. We, we have to, we have to keep the, the, the foot on the pedal here, right? We have to keep moving forward. Um, if this is the way we do it, if maybe the threat of the fees and now that's moving to doing new ports is the way I'll keep watching. I'll keep watching this. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of the day. We are still on FMC rulemaking watch this week. The three as were required rulemakings. So just like last week and the week before, there haven't been the, any of those rulemakings released yet. I expect them to be soon. I expect them to be hopefully coming out soon. Um, we are in the middle of the emergency order request for information. Um, that doesn't close for another two weeks. So stay up to date on that. Um, stay. I'll probably look at it again next week to see what new comments have come in and as they start to close down the comment period for that. But the three OSRA required rulemakings um, that we've talked about at length here at By Land and By Sea um, have not been released yet. So like I said, today and, and this month, we've been doing a one, well, the, the, the month of August up until Labor Day. And so we're going to count September 2nd is still August. Um, we've been doing 101s. And so I thought, you know, a quick 101 on federal advisory committees or FACAs, as they're sometimes called, um, might be good. This is the last of our quick hit 101s. You know, everybody's going back to school and, and so will we. We will be heading back to, to our normal programming next week. But, um, you know, I, I said I'd like to keep it quick and simple until Labor Day. Well, here, the Friday of Labor Day is upon us. And this is our last quick hit 101. Though we've had a lot of top stories of the week this week, but we're, we're, we're moving forward. We're, we're going to finish this up with our, our quick 101s. And uh, just a reminder that during the month of September, probably toward the end of September, I'm expecting to be releasing my, uh, my e-learning classes. Um, keep in touch for that. Go sign up at themaritimeprofessor.com to be alerted of, um, we're going to be doing some discount codes through email. Sign up for the email list there. Um, I'll also be alerting when the, the classes are live. Um, I'm really excited with how these are coming together. So um, keep keep watching for that. Um, I'll let you know when they are live. Um, but the month of September, there, there's going to be big things. Like I said, everybody's going to school and so will we. So uh, federal advisory committees, let's hop into it. Federal advisory committees. So they're regulated by the Federal Advisory Committee Act. 
which is why they're usually referred to as FACAs. So that's the last A. The, the word ACT is the last A of FACA. So FACAs cover a whole host of issues. Um, they're essentially created to help the agency or, or whatever federal agency connect with the industry, uh, whatever the regulated subject matter is, to better understand disconnects or otherwise through recommendations made by those groups. So let's dive into the text of the law. So, so where, where is this FACA? It's Section 5 of U.S. Code, so USC. The Federal Advisory Committee Act became a law in 1972. And it's the legal foundation that defines how federal advisory committees are allowed to operate. And I say allowed to operate because they still have some requirements. They can't just be willy-nilly. They do have to follow some um, some some kind of guiding principles. Uh, but they're allowed to operate and advise the federal agency that they are hosted by. So let's look into some of the law. So under Section 2 of 5 USC, so the Federal Advisory Committee Act, findings and purpose. So it says, quote, Congress finds that there are numerous committees, boards, commissions, councils, and similar groups which have been established to advise officers, agencies in the executive branch of the federal government. And that they are frequently used, frequently a useful and beneficial means of furnishing expert advice, ideas, and diverse opinions to the federal government. I mean, that's great, right? That they're, Congress is recognizing in the creation of the act in 1972 that these kind of ad hoc groups are beneficial. They are useful and they're a great way to connect to the industry. So this is just the establishing language. Congress also declared that moving forward from 1972, advisory committees should only be created or established when there is an essential need and the numbers should be kept to the minimum necessary. And they should be terminated when they are no longer carrying out the purposes for which they were established. So this is kind of the checks and balance. So they're saying we, we find value in these ad hoc groups. We think that they're important, but we need to remember that we shouldn't, this, these are not elected officials necessarily. They're nominated um, and, and approved by usually the, the department secretary or, or whomever, um, a high up official and Congress kind of explains how that works. Um, but they're saying we recognize the value in these FACAs, but also we need to keep them in check. We need to keep them only when they're essential. Um, and we need to keep the number to a minimum necessary. Um, that we don't want these to become overbloated. We don't want these to become larger than the agency tasked with it. If the agency needs additional um, manpower, it shouldn't be used through these FACAs. It should be, these FACAs should be advisory, advisory purposes. These FACAs should be so that they can help inform the agency that they're, they're part of. And they should be terminated when they are no longer carrying out the purposes for which they were established. Congress also continues and says that they should conduct their business with standards and uniform practices. And the language reminds that their function should be advisory only. Now, again, like I said, what was happening here is that they were trying to balance the need for this industry expertise and these ad hoc groups to help inform the decisions of the regulators or the, the federal agencies. But on the other hand, they didn't want them to become so large. They're not part of the federal government. They're not actual employees. They are advisory. So that's what they do. Typically, FACAs meet research and or combine industry expertise and knowledge, and then make recommendations to the host federal agency. So as you can imagine, maritime is a hot topic. Supply chain is a hot topic. There are about 36 different subject matter FACAs out there for supply chain. There might even be 37, 38, close to 40 by now. Um, you know, they're, they're, FACAs are so important, but I mean, 36, right? 36. So 
that's what the advisory committees do. And that's the one that, that the one that I'm on does. The Maritime Transportation System National Advisory Committee is a FACA that advises the U.S. Department of Transportation on issues related to the Maritime Transportation System, the MTS. So MITSNAC, as it's called, was originally established in 1999 and has usually the charters go for, for two years. And it's, it's a whole host of, you can see the list of, of everybody that's on, but we have ports on there. We have, um, you know, we have all sorts of industries represented, shipbuilding. We have, now remember, this is part of DOT. So it's going to stay under the purview of DOT. And so these, um, MITSNAC through their different groups has, has issued recommendations. So here's the best part about all FACAs, though. MITSNAC included. FACAs are public. And, well, most of it is public. So whole committee meetings are open to the public in some form. And if you're interested in learning more about a federal advisory committee, maybe you want to be on one or maybe you just want to listen in on one of the meetings, reach out to the designated federal officer, the DFO, or keep an eye on the Federal Register. So what do I mean by that? How do you find that information? Well, you can Google the, advi the advisory committee by the title of the group, so MITSNAC. Now you know, now you know it's a group. Or Coast Guard has quite a few FACAs. You know, the, the, pretty much a lot of the agencies out there have some sort of a FACA. You could pull up the Federal Register and search for the committee there. Um, so the Federal Register, we've talked about that before. That's basically the classified ads of the federal government. And so that's where you look. That's where you go find some information. If things need to be published for the public to see, you're going to find them in the Federal Register. So meeting information is required to be published in the Federal Register. And the DFO, the Designated Federal Officer, is always listed with a Federal Register announcement. So that's it. Like I said, it was just a quick hit brief 101 kind of day today. Keep an eye out for my e-learning classes. They are almost ready. I anticipate, like I said, a late September release. So keep an eye out on that pre-sale in early September. We're likely diving in a little deeper into this and many other 101 topics. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes. It should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. But if you have specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, Squall Strategies. Otherwise, for the non-legal questions, the e-learning, and general industry information and insights, come find me at The Maritime Professor. If you like these videos, let me know. Comment, like, and share. If you want to listen to these episodes on demand or you missed any of my previous episodes, go check them out on my podcast, By Land and By Sea, wherever you get your podcasts. If you prefer to see these videos, if you prefer to see the video, they live on my YouTube page, By Land and By Sea, presented by The Maritime Professor. And while you're at it, check out the website, themaritimeprofessor.com. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, The Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Land and By Sea. See you next time.